Well, we have a classic matchup tomorrow night. The Catholics against the Baptists. We're going to see who God likes the best. It's going to be amazing. As a matter of fact, if you were watching last night, I think you could see St. Augustine from his place up in heaven swatting away North Carolina foul shots at the end of the game. I think you could see an angel boosting that final rebound that Carolina got to, to pull out the, the victory. Uh, I think that that's just going to be you know, a phenomenal contest, and I, I hope you are able to enjoy it. We had a great time last night with the, the men's ministry out here with tacos, and uh, I, I'm sorry to say I ate seven tacos. Uh, I was actually injured in the act of eating tacos as I turned too fast. I pulled a muscle in my calf. Um, so you might or might not want to pray about that. Uh, I, personally, I wouldn't. So, um, But thanks for being here today. I have something really special on my heart to share with you. I'd like to, to start out with having you just close your eyes for a moment and, and just think about this thought. What does God want to say to me today? What does God want to say to me today? As I, as I listen to the scripture, as I hear the words of Jesus, what do I need to hear from God today? I begin with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and, and the life everlasting, and the life everlasting. Amen. Today, let's, let's talk about eternal life 101. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Let me just read to you from John chapter 12. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father 
who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Let me read you a variety of verses from the New Testament. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Timothy 1.16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Paul is writing this, in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Titus 1.2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. 1 John 2.25. And this is what he promised us. Eternal life. This is John who spent so many months, so many years with Jesus, being right at his side, listening to him, walking with him. And he says this so simply and so matter-of-factly. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. 1 John 5, 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Jude 1, 21. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I'd like to read to you from John chapter 6 this morning. It's one of my favorite passages in John, one of my favorite stories, because Jesus just lays it all out on the line. He really... He, he tells people, this is what you have to know, and this is what you have to do. And, and they kind of grumble and they argue, but he doesn't back off one inch. John chapter 6 begins with the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, you have to realize the crowd was thousands of people. It wasn't as if we were all outside of the church and all trying to come in to the church at the same time, that kind of a crowd. This is thousands of people. This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's almost like he's, he's pulling Philip's leg when he says this, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And so John makes a little commentary. He says he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him. Philip takes the bait. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. We would need so much money, and then everybody would just get one bite of bread. It's impossible to feed all these people. If it's going to take a half year's wages so that everybody gets one bite, what would it take? It would take several years' wages for people to have enough to eat. Just do the math. Philip's doing the math in his head, and it's blowing his mind. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. 
and this is almost comical too. Uh, here's, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? We have 5,000 people. We got a little kid's lunch. What are they even thinking about? So, but the miracle happens, and everybody is fed, and they have enough to eat, and they even pick up 12 baskets of leftovers. The story continues in John 6. The next day, the crowd is looking for him. Once you have a full, satisfying buffet on the hillside and it's free, you are looking for that same thing the next day. Because people are hungry and people don't have security. and People want to know, what's the next day going to bring? And are we going to eat? And is everything going to be okay? And these, these things people are worried about from time immemorial. Are we going to eat? Are we going to be okay? Everything's going to work out. So they find him. They get in their boats. And they go to the other side of the lake where the disciples have already gone with Jesus. And it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you, you get here? We just sort of happened to be in the same neighborhood. Hi, it's good to see you again. That was great yesterday, what we did out there. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is clear. He's saying you can work all you want. You can work hard. But everything you work for is going to spoil. It's going to go rotten sooner or later. But there's something better. There's something more. There's something much more substantive for you to have, the food that endures to eternal life. So they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? And all they're thinking is like, how do we still get something to eat? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And I think they're still really stuck. They're stuck in their physical appetite. They're stuck in their hunger. They're stuck in their need for security. And so now Jesus is going to lay it out there. He's going to be very, very clear. They're not going to understand it. They're going to wrestle with it. Some of them who are present are going to to argue with him, the work of, of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They're still hungry. They're still worried. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They want to sign on for the, the meal deal. And that's all they really are looking for. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's kind of a throwback to the woman at the well story in John chapter 4. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. 
What did it say in John 5, 24? Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is foremost in Jesus' mind. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Here it comes. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. So now there's just there's grumbling. It's like, what is he talking about? What are these words? You know, he's, he's just a mere man. Uh, he's, isn't he the son of Joseph? We know his family. How, how can he say, like, he came down from heaven? Who does he think he is? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Is there not a theme here of eternal life 101? Is this not the big theme that Jesus is trying to to etch on their hearts and he's trying to explain what it means to them? I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But Jesus wasn't talking about his flesh to eat, his body to eat. He was trying to raise the intensity of the moment. He was trying to be passionate about what he was calling them to do and to be. And so like an, like an eloquent speaker, like a person with, with great depth of, of teaching panache. I don't even know if I should have said it that way, but I said it. Uh, depth of great teaching panache. He is, is trying to draw them into the drama of the fact that God sent him into the world and all they have to do is believe in him and he's going to give them eternal life. Eternal life. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now there's a, there's a turning in verse 54 where he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. And I'm going to explain to you that turning in just a little bit. But that's where everything shifted. And if they were listening, they would have heard the shift. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, we give up. This, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is too hard. You know, I mean, having the fish and chips was really cool, but if we have to go through this every day, it's like, I don't think I can take this anymore. 
Aware that his disciples are grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Am I offending you now? Is this too hard for you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? What if you see me go back to heaven? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And Jesus is saying, I'm not talking to you about physical things. I'm not talking to you about the daily hunger, the appetites that you have in this world. I'm talking to you about something so much more. I'm talking about the stuff that's going to last forever. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. That there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, there was a wider group of disciples. There were the 12, but then there was a wider group of people that were a larger entourage, so to speak. And they were now turning back. And they just couldn't couldn't do it. They just couldn't, couldn't follow it anymore. Couldn't follow him. So he turns to his disciples, to the 12. He looks them in the eye and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so Peter He starts to get it. Peter starts to put eternal life 101 together in his mind. He doesn't fully understand it yet, but he knows that there's no one else to follow. He knows it's it's all a bunch of political power games. He knows it's all a bunch of of moves that, that men make to try to overwhelm other men. And this is, is the only thing different that he's ever heard. It's the only thing that, that sort of makes sense when you think about God. He doesn't totally get it, but he knows that you have the words of eternal life, and he knows that he's just going to keep following him. He's, he's believing. He is believing. So let me talk to you about what I think Eternal Life 101 is about. I think there are four concepts that Eternal Life 101 is about. And I think if you grasp these concepts it'll make you it'll make your life different it'll make you different it'll make the way you live different because at the end of the day Christianity is about this it's not about performance it's not about going certain places Uh, it's not about checking off boxes it's about something much more personal and real and I really, on my heart, I really want this for you. And I really want to do this with you. And this is what we get to do together as a church. Eternal Life 101. Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life connection. He's waiting, us, waiting for us to understand that, that it's all about this connection that we have with him. It's a deep connection. It's an intimate connection. It's a connection upon which we can build our lives and sustain our lives. But it's all about the intimacy that we have with him. 
And the way we understand that is these two words. One word is phago, the other word is trogo. And both of these words in, in the Greek language meant to eat. But the word phago, which is where we get our word esophagus from, esophagus, phago, you can see that in there. And it just means you put something in your mouth and you swallow it. I did that early this morning. I had a little private moment with a cup of coffee and a hot, I mean, this was hot out of the oven blueberry muffin. It was steaming. I broke it open and the steam rose to the sky. And the little blueberries are saying, eat me, eat me, eat me. I said, I will be happy to fago you. And so I took them and I put them in my mouth and I swallowed them and I drank the coffee. And I was in just one of these moments of early morning ecstasy. And, and so that's what fago is. It just, it just gives you that chance to put something in your mouth and swallow it. But trogo, trogo is a whole other word about eating. And Jesus switched in verse 54 of John chapter 6, he switched to the word trogo. And if they were listening, they would have understood he's not just talking about eating bread or eating food. He's talking about a lengthening dining experience, a long, intimate dining experience where you just take time. It's a difference that I've talked to you before about. It's the difference between fast food and, and a dining experience. Have you ever had a dining experience with good friends where you begin, you sit down, you talk, you order food, food comes, you talk some more, and then later you look down at your watch. It's been two and a half hours. It's been almost three hours. You could have watched the Titanic. As a matter of fact, when you watch the Titanic, they had to give you an intermission, and you didn't have an intermission. You just went for it because you were trogoing. You were... In the moment, it was all an experience of oneness and love and grace and friendship. That's what dining is. Uh, Travis and Nina and the, the, our four granddaughters drove to Florida on Thursday. and No, Friday. They left 8 o'clock in the morning. They arrived at 9 p.m. at night. They just sort of drove straight through. I called him about dinner time. I said, did you have dinner? He said, yeah, Wendy's. I said, did you go in and eat? He said, no, we ate in the car. See, that's fogoing. It's Wendy's, the Fago edition. You grab it, you put it in the car, and you keep going. But trogoing is you take your time and you become one in the moment. What Jesus was saying is if we can become one in the moment with each other, if we can listen to each other at the heartbeat level, if we can live life together and do things together and walk down the road together and have an experience of relationship together, then you will understand who I am. You will understand who God is and you will understand God's great love for you. Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life connection. That's why at the beginning of this message, I said, let's just be quiet for a moment. Let's ask God, like, what does he want for us or what does he have for us in this time this morning? And what do we need from him? And if Christianity doesn't give you times where you can just do that in quietness, do that in relational depth, then we are not living Christianity. We might be living rush and tumble 21st century Americanism, but we're not living Christianity. So Eternal Life 101 first says, you got to get the eternal life connection. And that doesn't happen fast. 
It happens when you get close and intimate with him. And that's what sort of was, was stopping them. Because they just wanted bread on the hillside. Bread and fish on the hillside. Give us that, give us that, give us that. He said, no. You have to have me. We have to, we have to be together. That's why he said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Second, Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life perspective. When you have eternal life perspective, you can do different things. You can do things that, that you don't even think you can do, but you do them because you know that he's asked you to see the world in a whole different way. A few years ago, we saw the world in a whole, di whole different way when we had a project that was called Big Water. Big Water. Let me take you to, to West Africa. Here's the, the fountain in the middle of the schoolyard. There's a schoolhouse over here. You can see one of the schoolhouses in the background. Schoolhouse over there. Here's all the kids that get to go to school. They've got that one little faucet in the middle. All these kids, have, they want water at school. They've got that one little faucet. And, and each of these kids, the old ones, the young ones, they need water to survive. They need water and they need food so that their lives are nurtured and cared for physically. They need teaching from the Bible so that their lives are cared for and nurtured spiritually. They need to be surrounded by love and grace. Here's a bunch of women at a, at a well location where they're all getting water to take home to their villages. Here's another well location that we did. Because we did that, we changed the world because we had a perspective that comes out of, we can see the world differently. It's not just, hey, we have water. It's like saying, I wonder who doesn't have water and maybe we can give them water. And so what we're going to do from Easter till the end of April, maybe into May, is we're going to put a top on the tower that we did there a couple years ago and, and we're going to call it Big Water 2 and we put a, a top, a cap on the water tower which now gives, gives water to thousands of people and there's 22 water locations like that. We're gonna, we're gonna maybe double the capacity of water so that more people are gonna have water and more kids are gonna have water and things are gonna get better. Why? Because we have a different perspective. We don't just walk away and say, hey good, you've got a tower, see you later. We wanna say, what more can we do? God, what more do you want us to do? And you know how much it costs to do the, the cap on the tower? $15,000. We could probably do that today if we really just leaned into it. But I'm going to invite everybody who comes here on Easter to be a part of Big Water 2, and we'll just get it done. And the reason for getting it done is because we can see differently, because Christ saw us differently, and he gave himself for us so that we could have eternal life and see the world in a whole new way. Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life connection. He's waiting for us to get eternal life perspective. Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life motivation. In yesterday's New York Times, I saw this very interesting story. There was a headline I'm going to show you right now. Here's the headline. What's a Gonzaga? And then there's the picture of Aloysius Gonzaga. You see, Aloysius Gonzaga was born in the middle of the 16th century. Right there, he's looking at a cross with Jesus on the cross, dying for him. And he's got just joy on his face. It's lighting up his, his whole life in the picture. Of course, it's an artist's representation, but the artist is trying to capture the internal reality of 
Gonzaga. He was made a saint by the Roman Catholic Church. He grew up in a wealthy family in the 16th century, a wealthy and powerful family. So he had all the privileges, anything that he wanted, he asked for it, he got it. He didn't have to worry. He could go to school, he could learn, he could take over the family business, he could have, you know, uh, he could have a, a Porsche, he could have a Lamborghini, he could have, he maybe had the original Lamborghini because he was Italian. It was really a horse, but it's a horse named Lamborghini. Okay, so he could have whatever he wanted. He had no worries. But he looked at that, a life of having everything you wanted, anybody to serve you anytime you needed to be served, and he said, I think my life is motivated to be more than that. And so I'm going to give my life away to the poor and to the needy. And he walked away from his wealthy, powerful family life to become a Jesuit priest. And in 1591, an outbreak of the plague occurred in Rome, and he went there and he took care of those who were sick. And he took care of them to the point that at age 23, as a young priest, he died because his heart was motivated to serve in whatever capacity God asked him to serve. And so this university that's named Gonzaga is named after him, and they have this theme of service at the university. They have more students that go into the Peace Corps out of Gonzaga University than any other university of its size in the country. Now, who are you going to root for tomorrow night? Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life motivation. He's waiting for us to know that we can give our lives away. We can just give them away. It doesn't matter because we're going to live forever with him. So each and every day, I believe there's a way for us to give our lives away. It could be in the simplicity of writing a card to somebody. It could be in the simplicity of visiting someone. It could be in the simplicity of a phone call to someone. Or it could be something that... Right now, you're not even thinking about, but if you ask God, God, can, how can I serve you? How can I be motivated in a new way to serve you in, in a deeper way? You know, we're starting a program here uh, on Wednesdays in April called Awana, and it's all about kids. It's all about building scriptural truth into kids' lives and bringing kids together and making their lives strong and secure for the future. And Awana really needs volunteers. Maybe God is saying, what are you doing on Wednesday night? Could you give a couple hours of your Wednesday night to helping kids have a future and a hope in Jesus Christ? There are innumerable ways. We're going to go deeper into uh, the, the elementary school, Jaycox Elementary School that we're working in in Norfolk over the summer. There's a summer program. Maybe God's going to say to you, you know, why don't you just serve by going into the summer program at Jaycox Elementary School in Norfolk. But I believe that if you ask God, God, where do you need me to show up and give my life away? I believe God will show you that. I believe God will show you that. I was told a story in between services by Letha, and she told me a story about being on a plane and, and praying for God to show her a way to give her life to somebody. And right after she did that, this amazing conversation happened with the woman she was seated with on the plane. The woman had just lost her son, an adult son, and she just really needed somebody to talk to about that. And she didn't know she was going to sit 
next to Letha on that plane, and Letha didn't know she was going to sit next to this woman. But Letha said a prayer, God, show me how I can do something for you right where I am. You pray that prayer. You see how God shows you how to be motivated because you are living an eternal life 101 kind of a life. And then finally, Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life freedom, to get eternal life freedom. And that means getting sort of outside of the structures that we allow ourselves to be you know, boxed in by sometimes and moving out into a, a, a world that Jesus wants us to move out into. I was in a Methodist church yesterday, and I love stained glass windows, so I took a bunch of pictures of the stained glass windows that were in the church. So here's Jesus when he called the little child to be at his side. And here's Jesus when he was, when he was like preaching and, and, and talking to people. And here's Jesus when he was baptized. You see the Holy Spirit coming down, baptized by John the Baptist. And here's Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. And here's Jesus as the great shepherd. And here's Jesus finally. Well, there's, there's a picture of him at the Last Supper. And I think there's one final shot, Jesus knocking on the door saying, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them. Not fast food. I'm going to just sit down. We're going to talk, and we're going we're to figure out your eternal life, 101 life that you want to live. He's waiting for us to get eternal life freedom, freedom from the agendas of the world, freedom from the expectations of the world, to live in, in only one expectation of the expectation that he has for us to live fully the life that he has given us to live. Jesus is waiting for us to get eternal life connection, perspective, motivation, and freedom. And that's how you know you are living the eternal life. That's how you, you receive eternal life from him. You experience eternal life with him. It all starts now. You're not waiting for it. It all starts now, and it just continues. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then I imagine that Jesus sat down one day, one day after feeding 5,000 people, one day after talking about being the bread of life, and he wrote an entry in his diary to his father. Dear Father, many here on earth have great difficulty understanding eternal life. All they know is what they see and touch. They constantly try to control their image of us. In their penchant to control, they grow more and more restless. In their restlessness, they try to control even more. They criticize others for their belief in idols, yet believe mostly in idols they carve in their minds. Idols carved out of anxieties and fears. Idols of greed and power. Father, I have worked to draw them close to us. I've argued the best case for your love and grace. Now I am ready to put a dramatic face on your loving heart. Strengthen me as we go into Jerusalem to face the rabble. I will pray to you in the garden where John and Peter Matthew and the others will fall asleep. They will sleep. They will weep. They will think all is lost. But their lostness will be called the beginning. They will finally understand eternal life is knowing 
who you are through knowing me. And then they will change this fragile world of men and women. Power will be love and love will be power. And all things will bring honor to you, the Father of all things. It is time for palms to be waved and for shouting. The end we planned is soon. My betrayal is near. My heart begins to break. Jesus, dear Heavenly Father, help each of us to grasp the implications of eternal life right now, in the here and now of our lives. Help us to grasp the moment of eternal life and the, and the need that a child has for comfort. Help us to grasp the moment of eternal life and an opportunity to serve people who need water and who need medicine, you know, who need just resources that they don't have, that, that you've given us an abundance of. Father, allow us to experience eternal life as we come to share life together and to be in partnership together with each other in friendship and Christian friendship and with you as we serve right here in this area that you have put us in. Father, whether it's with school children in Norfolk or homeless people in Virginia Beach, Father, help us to do eternal life now with you. Father, guide us in all these things to receive the abundance of your grace day after day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.